1: I think there's a pretty good chance that our listeners are out there going, oh, wow, I have a lot of cultural messages in my head and Mm -hmm. it's not that easy to access the voice of my true nature.
0: Yes. And
1: I don't know, they might be thinking, is there anything else that I could do other than listening to this podcast to help me learn to listen to my heart? Well, I
0: had this question. Even as a young child, I would say, I am not happy, and people would say, well, it's all in your head, and I'd be like, I know, get it out of my head. But nobody could really help me do that. And so um, in my 20s, I sort of made up a system to help me detach from cultural messages and connect with my true nature. And it ended up being my career as a life coach and then training people to
1: do the same thing. And I think that, you know, it's just like people who feel the urge to heal themselves, help others heal and heal the world, Mm. that... This, this term life coach sort of slots into that in our culture. And yeah. people take the training to hang out a shingle and become life coaches. People take the training because it's like getting life coaching, yeah, you know, and people also take the training just to learn to access their own true nature.
0: Yeah. It was originally just an access your own true nature course mm-hmm. But when you've mastered that, you really want to share it with other people and people want to be shared with and they will pay you money. So if that's the way you want to go, that's why it ended up being Life Coach Training. But it's actually Wayfinder, which is different.
1: It's about finding your way by connecting with your true nature and and steering your own course. So if people are interested, you can Google Wayfinder Life Coach Training or go to MarthaBeck.com and you will find your way. Yes, you will.
0: I'm Martha Beck.
1: And I'm Rowan Mangan. This is episode four of Bewildered, the podcast for people trying to figure it out. I know I'm certainly trying to figure it out. Martha, have you got everything figured out still? You know, I did. I thought I had mm-hmm. a couple of
0: days ago. I was like, oh my God, I've got it. I've got it all figured <laughs> out. And, um, and then the dogs went outside.
1: Oh boy.
0: It, it's not good.
1: It would challenge the Buddha himself.
0: Yeah, it, it, it is a... It is not just a cold place, this Pennsylvania where we live. It is also a muddy place.
1: Oh, wait.
0: And it is a place rife with wildlife. And you know what wildlife leaves about?
1: Uh, Like they forget umbrellas. um, Well, there's that. They drop coins out of their pockets. And um,
0: we have a little return box for that. But no, they leave (laughs) poop. They leave poop everywhere. Here's my question, Ro. They can train dogs. Like they've bred dogs that do backflips on purpose, just to entertain people. I'm not even kidding. They've bred dogs with like nine toes on each foot so that they can go puffin hunting in Iceland. <laughs> they have not. Yes, they have. None. You should look it up. They, they're so weird. They have so many toes and they can dislocate <laughs> their own shoulders so that they can crawl backwards in small tunnels.
1: Oh, my God. They
0: can breed dogs to do anything, but they cannot stop a dog from running into the woods and rolling in poop. Every dog ever bred, I swear to God, will run into the woods, find an animal that has died of diarrhea in its own poop. (laughs) It has pooped itself to death and then decayed in the poop. That is what the dogs will roll in. And then they will come in and they will get all over everything you own.
1: And you're proposing that science has repeatedly attempted to breed this out of dogs. I mean, one would hope so. I'm right there with you. I haven't figured it out. But, like, but they have Did haven't. they
0: just not notice? Were the people breeding the dogs, did they have just servants who wiped the poop and dead animals off I bet of their they, dogs? I bet they did. think they had that in
1: Downton Abbey we we have this habit of um often blaming people having servants (laughs) for reasons that things (laughs) things were easier for other people that we figured that out so long ago (laughs) so I haven't
0: I haven't I'm trying if anybody out there wants to tell us why they have not bred the poop lust out of dogs I'm still trying to figure it out what about what about you you got it all figured
1: out You know, I I don't. I I can't say that I do. The thing that I have been really puzzling over in the last few days is – You know, like I have this cool thing in my office where my screensaver is it pulls my favorite photos out of my phone, and I swear to God, I get entranced by that for hours. I also get entranced by that. I know, it's lovely, isn't it? And it does this little slideshow, and there's like eight or six or eight tiles up there at a time, and you just go, Oh, I remember that. And then sometimes you go, I have no memory of that. When did that happen? And I started to think. We have cloud storage. We can put any old thing up there. We can. And I just don't know how to ever bring it down again. Like I'm thinking, you know, we it's just an interesting relationship that we now have with time where, you know, oh, it's so great. We can just take a bunch of photos and then we don't risk, you know, any of them turning out crap. We can see how they look at the beginning. But you will never have time ever To look at all your memories that you have so cleverly recorded. You know, like it's just a sort of unmanageable unless you put a lot of time or deep, deep systems in.
0: You will never have time to look at your memories. Wow. That just, that feels like a mic drop. I think you just figured it all out.
1: My gosh, I feel a strange golden light pulsating Oh out God, of she's my body. Gone.
0: <laughs> it's it isn't it funny that there's one theory of psychology they say we don't actually want things for themselves we're out looking for memories. Everything we think we want to do we're actually going out so that we can have the memory of doing it. I'm not so sure. Because we don't have time to look at our memories.
1: But we can we can collect memories as memories. We just can't put them in the cloud and ever like bring them down again, get a little hook and bring them down out of the cloud, not all of them. Whereas, I don't know, for memories themselves, though, like the memories that we record on the internal.
0: So if your personality and your being is everything you remember in your life Mm -hmm. and you've put, like, a ton of it on the cloud Mm -hmm. but you can't remember most of it, Mm -hmm. does that mean that your fundamental identity is now in the cloud and not in your body?
1: Whoa. Whoa. Figure that one out. Oh, that gives me chills. But then on the other hand, they do say if you remember Woodstock, you weren't there. So there's always <laughs> that factor of not remembering all our memories. The other strange thing, you know, though, is that we only started doing, like, this is quite a recent phenomenon. So I have more memories in the last five years, in, you know, like actual images, actual data, than I have had in my whole life.
0: I read recently that. Ninety uh, percent of all photographs ever taken were taken this year.
1: Shut the front door.
0: Right, like they used to have to set up a whole booth and get a man who was willing to die, put his head in the, in a box, uh, you know, put a muffler on it, and then it, like. And that was just up. the
1: the sort of fun for the afternoon. That yeah. was just the sideshow.
0: My great grandfather and his three Mormon wives standing there, stock still for like a month and a half while a photographer risked his life to take pictures. So. We only have one picture of that. But if they were here now, we'd have a, like several dozen. That's
1: <laughs> true. It's true.
0: If they we were, were would here now, more... it would be frightening, actually.
1: It's weird to think of like ancient Mormon ears. Mormon pioneers. Mormon ears. It. <laughs> it's Martha and the Mormon <laughs> coming live to your city this week. Whether winter. you want us or not. <laughs> and, uh, Thinking of those guys, like, taking selfies, you know, just using Instagram filters and putting little mouse noses and ears on their faces and stuff.
0: It would have been so different.
1: Maybe they would have lightened up a bit.
0: You'd think. These do not look like happy people.
1: (laughs) Karen said, Karen, our beloved, um, said, we've been speculating because we do have some Mormon neighbours. Ooh. I don't know if I should talk about this. Yeah, I can talk about it. I love them. They're wonderful. They're awesome. But they do have just suddenly a van, like a beige 80s child molester van that has just appeared at at their house. But it's like parked oddly away from the house. And Karen said, and I am quoting this directly, she said, yeah, I think a Christmas uncle is sleeping in it. (laughs) (laughs) And they're not letting him in the house. (laughs) And I am just so delighted by this notion of a Christmas uncle. (laughs) Everyone should have one, but they can't come in the
0: house. They can't come in the house. You and just throw pieces of pie at the van, and they run out and get it off the snow.
1: Well, that's if they've been a good Christmas uncle. That's true. Yeah, Karen thinks the Christmas uncle is frozen to death by now. I wouldn't doubt it. Mm. Just like the Mormon pioneers, really, when you like think the about Mormoneers. it. Everyone the should have a
0: Mormon ear pioneer uncle. We could take pictures of him, throw it into the cloud, and fail to remember him. <laughs> You see, it all comes around, Ro. If you just follow the logic,
1: <laughs> I tell you what: following the logic of one of these conversations is, you know, it takes it takes Harvard.
0: Drink, drink. Think, does it count? Do they get to drink if you say I went to Harvard instead of me?
1: Maybe if I say it, looking at you really pointedly, because uh-huh. they can hear that in my voice.
0: I'd like, do it again.
1: Oh no! What did I say? <laughs> to follow the logic yeah, yeah. of one of these conversations we have, you would have to go to harvard
0: and then i say and it's great
1: because it's like you brought it up
0: (laughs) you know what (laughs) my christmas uncle went to harvard (laughs) (laughs) oh wait no it was me but i've forgotten i can't i don't have time to look at the memories so
1: i'm just falling down a whole rabbit hole right here it's amazing
0: ah don't google rabbit hole you'll never come back (laughs) I tried it.
1: (laughs) I fell backwards up into the cloud. You're pinging all my references to the Divine Comedy, and that is too nerdy. I have to say, everything in our lives right now, because of a book Martha's writing, is, in her mind, a reference to the Divine Comedy. He
0: literally falls upward into into the cloud, like you just said it. Plus, he has all these angels up there, and they don't... They don't have time because they don't have memory because they're always staring at the light that is God and nothing ever changes in the light, which is true. At the speed of light, you attain infinite mass and no no time passes. So the angels don't need memory because they're always looking at the changeless. So you've been talking, Dante, this whole time and you didn't know it.
1: Okay. I have the most groundbreaking theory to shoot at you right now. When we die, yes. we fall backwards up into the cloud. Yes, The life review begins in the form of all the photos we took it's, in our lifetimes. It's a selfie life review. It's a selfie life review. And the light is, oh my gosh, all you spiritual people are going to kill me. The light is actually all the flashes, all the photo flashes <gasps> that we have experienced we over our lifetimes.
0: With photo flashes and yeah. putting it in the cloud.
1: And they accumulate and then we get to experience the rush of them when we die. When they're going towards the light, they're going towards, they're going backwards in time through every photo flash that they ever had in their entire life. And I don't mean flashing in that way. You have a dirty <laughs> mind.
0: But why not? Why not? My Christmas uncle again. <laughs> Big habit <laughs> of his. Good callback. <laughs> Boom.
1: change, eh? Mm, It sure does keep happening. I feel like there's something that you, Martha Beck, have created that will help us understand how change affects us and how to manage it.
0: By coincidence, now that you mention it, I have. It's called the change cycle. Mm. It's about four aspects of the whole process of change. and We've put the information together in one handy place so that the people can refer to it when they're going through
1: change. And you know what else? We also made podcast episodes about each of the four squares in the cycle that are also on this new page that we've made for the peoples. Well, how remarkable is that? All right, you can find out all about the change cycle at marthabeck.com
0: slash change. Okay, what are we talking about?
1: Yeah, well, let's hope it makes a bit more sense than this. We spoke to Carmen this week, who um, is someone we know and who is having something that she's trying to figure out.
0: What is she trying to figure out? Well, she said this... I'm trying to figure out how to rest in a world that wants you to constantly be moving. I find it hard to let myself rest without feeling the need to justify myself.
1: Yikes. I can feel that. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. So what we do in this podcast, you might remember, is we're trying to help people move from bewilderment, where Carmen is right now, to bewilderment, where she's responding not to culture, but to her wild true nature. Mm -hmm. So Carmen doesn't know how to rest without feeling she has to justify it. What would we say is the cultural context for Carmen's bewilderment, Marty?
0: Oh, do not get me started. Oh, you just did.
1: I just did. Oops. There I went. Well,
0: long ago, there was a man named Max Weber. He was a German sociologist, the founder of sociology. And what he did notice is that Americans are obsessed with productivity. Mm. He wrote a book called The American Ethic and the Wait." I forgot, spirit (gasps) of capitalism, something like that. The American ethic and the spirit of capitalism. And it was all about how Americans felt like you can tell who God likes by how much stuff they have. So Americans went nuts trying to prove that they were good by creating mountains of stuff. And it was so depressing to Max Weber. He literally said, we're going into an iron cage. There's no comfort in here. There's just, we'll end up robots. And then he went to sleep for like three years and couldn't get out of bed. So
1: he was worried about the mountain of stuff or the cost it takes to participate in the mountain of stuff kind of economy. He was worried
0: that the joy of human life would go away because the obsession with productivity would eat us.
1: Right. So the productivity is linked to the stuff.
0: Exactly. Mm. It's all about material stuff. So mm. like when Henry David Thoreau wrote in Walden, he wrote the the majority of men lead lives of quiet desperation. Remember? I do. And he was actually talking about the industrial revolution and the factories. Mm-hmm. And it was factories that pulled people out of their houses and put them in these horrible workplaces where they just like played with widgets all day long.
1: Not usually that quiet in those factories though, was it? Money Moo, no. more of a like noisy, clangy desperation?
0: I'm just flashing back to a factory I went to in China, like in the 80s.
1: Oh my god, me too, that's amazing. You were,
0: <laughs> you were actually there as a neonate. You were a little tiny newborn. But they had this big <laughs> factory, factory that we went to do research on, and the communists had built this factory to create all these wonderful machines. But the one thing they left out was there was no electricity at all. Oh. So all these people, comrades, were sent, they were all sent to the factory where they would lie on the machines and sleep all day. I kid you not. We just walked through this factory full of people sleeping on machines that could not work.
1: That is such a nice reversal of this like sweatshop <laughs> oh, kind of cliche. I think I just figured it out. Now, That's what like, you need to do, Carmen. Just find yourself an abandoned factory and rest there. There'll be no one there to judge you.
0: It's, it's really interesting, though, to look at how people used to live before factories. Mm. You know, when we lived in California, and I, I researched, the Indians the Native Americans that lived there first and they lived there for 6,000 years in complete harmony living by doing things hunting fishing basket weaving gardening gathering talking braiding each other's hair all stuff we do on vacation
1: hmm not an IT guy among them
0: not a single one well yeah there was an IT guy and he could make fire out of anything
1: and that's all they needed That's wild.
0: Then, you know, Europeans came in killed everyone and started lustfully digging for gold and ruining everything. But so we have this thing and it is very sort of Western European, 17th century enlightenment, blah, 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 take over the world. And what it leads to is a society where people are obsessed with earning wealth. And to do that, they have to work all the time. Hmm. That's not good. Have you like what's been your experience of that? You've you had an orifice job. Wait, that sounded really wrong. You had a <laughs> job.
1: <laughs> we agreed we weren't going to talk about that part of my career, Marty. Uh, yeah, I, I've worked in a bunch of offices, but I think that, that it didn't have that quiet desperation for me in my life because it was always a means to an end and the end was always long months of travel. Hmm. But, you know, I, we've, it's funny because we've actually been watching the office for fun. Of late and and there's just – there is something a little bit horrifying to look back on with the fluorescent lights and the ill-fitting like work clothes, shirts and everything and you're just like – oh, and then the the glum office party planning committee – It's, yeah.
0: It really is not great. And uh, the the more it developed, it got, the worse it was.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, I think what's interesting is that there's another layer to the cultural thing, which isn't just we want stacks of stuff. A lot of people who are working in in the middle or working class or or middle class jobs, they're just doing it to survive, but they're still doing it 45, 50 hours a week. Yeah, Or they're doing it. And this is the, the kind of bit where I feel like Carmen's getting at. They're doing it because they're meant to be doing it because it's expected that they will be doing it, that the culture around them, you know, that's, that's the fear anyway, that she'll be judged by the people around her if she rests.
0: So when you say they're meant to be doing it, here's an interesting Australianism, because when you say they're meant to be doing it, it means they, they be, they're being oh. told to do it. But when we say they're meant to be doing it, it means it's their divine
1: right <laughs> to be doing it. It's just their place.
0: Manifest destiny.
1: <laughs> Flourish <Florens laughs> sure forever. <laughs> got it. Well, I should have said it's what they feel they're supposed to be doing. Yeah. Does that make sense to yeah, the Americans?
0: And the, the, as productivity just was accepted as an absolute good, mm-hmm. people got more and more and more destroyed by it. Like Henry Ford, the big factory founder of the universe, you know, the whole Model T thing. He revolutionized business. He'd have all these people in his factories putting on widgets, but the burnout rate was incredible. He would have to hire like 500 people for every position he wanted to keep staffed. And the turnover rate was almost 90% per month. People hated working like that. But all you ever hear about it is, oh, my God, he made up this amazing model. He, cars were pouring off. He revolutionized the, the culture by putting cars in everybody's garages. They had garages, oddly. There are no cars. He put cars in them. It's <laughs> a brilliant use of
1: space, really. Um, so it's interesting that what interests me is we don't still have that level of, as far as I know in, in most places, of turnover, even in factory jobs. And I wonder if part of what you're describing is the effect of working production lines for people who don't have the cultural expectation already because it's a new thing.
0: Well, you know what was interesting about it was that in order to – remain productive what he had to do was raise pay so then he became famous for you you'll have this horrible job it'll pay a lot five dollars a day which in 1911 trust me was more than it is now hmm. but here's the thing that instead of saying oh my god this is inhuman nobody can live like this this is by the way destroying the ecology of the planet whatever they didn't know that back then instead of saying this is inhuman and awful what they said was okay, it stinks but if if you get enough money for it mm. you'll sell out for it you will sell your freedom you will sell the blue sky over your head and all the fun you ever had you will sell it out because it's a horrible job but it pays well
1: jeez this is this is us this is human nature it's, yeah in it's certainly the
0: western world and then yeah. it was imported to, it was basically taken all around the globe you read the western colonial histories what what Europeans wrote when they went to various cultures of indigenous people, and they always said they're so lazy and stupid, and they just sit around these simple creatures doing things like big, big
1: smiles on their simple faces looking like they don't ever care in the world. exactly
0: <laughs> so we we killed as many as we possibly could put the rest in slavery and a few of them that and then we'll like rape the women and we'll have children that are ours but also theirs but it's okay because we'll teach them to think like us i mean they mm. it, it's literally a crazy crazy mentally ill way of framing life's value but it's so Dominant in terms of guns, germs, and steel, to quote Jared Diamond, that it t- it's like everywhere, it's everywhere in the world,
1: and it's there, there's there's a mixed up psychology in there, I think, in how we actually go about our individual pursuits of that stuff, like that we work hard for the stuff, but I think most for most people, the stuff that they get is some sort of compensation prize for doing all the work. And so it's like in the 90 minutes a day that I'm not working, I'll sit in a comfortable chair. Thank you very much. Right. And then I'll go back to work because, you know, some at some point, you know, my wife might want to sit down. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe.
0: Our wife never sits down. Uh, It's interesting, though, because in Carmen's case, she's introjected it, to use the psychological term. She's taken the whole culture and she's made it her own conscience. Mm. So she's got this internal nag. And I know this nag well because I've had it myself. And it sits there saying, what are you doing? Get working. Get working. Get working. And by the way, for those who don't work outside the home, when they started making labor-saving devices like vacuum cleaners and washing machines, they thought that housewives would now have these blissfully indolent Existences. Instead, what happened was the standard of cleanliness went up until people were doing more housework than before. So that shows you how no matter what gadgets we put into our lives, we don't use them to decrease labor. We always increase labor to match the limits of what we've created.
1: Mm. There's a great Anita Franco line, you know how I enjoy her. Oh, yeah. That she has in one song, and she says, just when you think that you've got enough, enough grows and everywhere that you go in life, enough knows. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> it's that sort of chilling dark side of it. So can I ask you something? I suppose so. With this kind of sense of introject and, and the sense of cultural shaming yeah. around productivity, to mm-hmm. what extent do you think the cultural shaming is real? And to what extent do you think it's you know, the sort of pressure that we put on ourselves?
0: You know what? If I really put all my cards on the table... My deep belief is that 100% of it is cultural. Wow. I genuinely believe because I've, I was so run ragged. The whole reason I started writing about rest and blah, 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 but I was such a hypocrite because I never rested. Mm. Um, but I wrote about it because I desperately needed to rest. And I would take 15 minutes and think I was a champion. And then I thought, wait, what would happen if I went wild, if mm. I got bewildered? So, you know, I went to wild places and then I moved to a wild place. And I, the first year was one of the most terrifying years of my life because I had nothing on my schedule. Do you know how scary that is? I just walked around with a thought, everything's going to fall apart. Like, I can't not be productive. I When I was at Harvard, did I tell you I went to Harvard? Drink. I used to just not plan to go to bed on Wednesdays and Saturdays. I worked two all-nighters a week until my body gave out, and then I just kept trying. But, you know, I was 50 when I moved to the woods. And that first year, I was so scared because there was so much culture saying everything will fall apart unless you work. And after a year, I had realized while wandering through the forest, that in the ecosystem of a human life, if we can let go enough, we will be provided for. And I know that sounds hypocritical coming from a privileged white... You know, I, I get that I'm privileged. But I honestly believe... That if we're willing to let go and trust the forces of the universe what we're meant to do will come to us as naturally and as beautifully as the hunting, fishing, basket weaving, far gardening things that kept humanity alive for hundreds of thousands of years.
1: Yeah. I see how you came from consensus to your senses in those woods over that year and went through the scary fire of that fear yeah. of not being productive. But, you know, I think that what you're saying about you, you'll you be led to what you should do if you rest. There's a couple of things for me. One is that I don't really understand how someone does that who's not going to wander in the woods for True. a year because I Happen to know Carmen and I know that she loves her work mm. so it's only about she's not in a life of quiet desperation she's right. just works too much yeah and so if it's a question of integrating hmm rather than cutting off the productivity. How would we recommend Carmen come from the consensus of the culture that says you must work all the time and that she feels in herself yeah. to, for her to come to her senses? That's such
0: a great question. And it really is. I, I love Marie Kondo's Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. Everybody went nuts over that book because she believes that you should pick up an object and if it doesn't spark joy. You don't need to own it. If it does spark joy, it doesn't matter what it is. Keep it. But if it doesn't spark joy, it doesn't matter if it's your, I don't know, your holiday uncle. Get rid of it. (laughs) (laughs) And the van. The van sparks joy. The uncle, not so much. I'm keeping the van. Get rid of the uncle. But I really do believe. See, I came back and a lot of the things I'd been doing, like right, I'm writing a book right now. I've written a lot of books. I didn't enjoy it. I enjoy this so much because my whole life was like touch it does it spark joy that sounded really wrong that sounded like something would happen (laughs) in the
1: van (laughs) i think you've just given a new line to perverts all over the world (laughs) touch it does that spark joy
0: oh my gosh hello the lovely peoples purpose, and you will be able to watch it without any charge at all. (laughs) So anyway, it's it's so weird because I do the same things, but like now we go to New York City, which used to be a place that, you know, the city that never sleeps, and I would go there and just get so manic and so wired and so crazed, and, and I'd have to rest and rest. Now we go there, and it's, it's like skiing or something. It's riding the energy of, a, of so many millions of humans. And I can't take it for very long, but it's actually joyful for me. The very same things are joyful when they're done from a place of really deeply assessing your own joy.
1: Hmm.
0: Like when you were working in offices and stuff, from what you said earlier, you'd plan these long trips, right? And you knew you were earning toward these trips, and you loved the travel. So did the work itself spark joy because of the travel coming up or did it not at all? And it was just like, it
1: was neither. It was that, 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 those particular early jobs in my twenties were, you just went to work. Like that was what you did. You made the most of it. You know, if you got a bit of a chat with your colleagues, that was good. But, yeah, I mean, definitely holding. I mean, I couldn't have done it forever. I was in a coal centre. But, you know, later on. A coal
0: centre, not a coal centre. She wasn't mining for coal.
1: (laughs) Felt like it.
0: (laughs) I love your Australian accent. Don't you ever, ever change it.
1: Thank you so much for continuing to translate me (laughs) because there is so much that I have yet to learn.
0: That self-same great-grandfather Mormonier, that I had grew up mining coal in Scottish mines. so. That was a nasty job.
1: I really feel like the Mormoneers would do a great sort of um, synchronized dancing in roller skates kind of act.
0: I think they do that already.
1: Oh, <laughs> we just need to give them the branding that they need. Mm. Yeah. Okay.
0: So yeah. So if it sparks joy, then you do it to the extent that it sparks joy. And here's the thing: once you get that straight, it's actually pretty easy. Unless, and this is the big unless, and I don't know what it's like for Carmen, but for most people, it's huge. You start to follow your joy and then other people see you following your joy and saying no to things that don't spark joy. And that's when things get nasty because the culture is so geared, especially if you're male, by the way, most of my coaches are female, partly because men are being more intensely scrutinized and shamed for doing different jobs. So when the shaming starts for real, not just in your head, but from your mother, from your next door neighbor, whatever it is, you have to be able to stick to your own joy, to stick to your
1: own truth,
0: even if someone literally is acculturated into thinking that you're being a stupid, terrible, bad person.
1: I'm going to push you on this because I'm still curious about the person who basically has designed themselves a beautiful life. Mm-hmm. It's all, just say, it's all sparking joy. I don't know if all Carmen's work sparks joy, but it's all sparking joy and she just needs to rest more. She gets sick or she gets overloaded, she gets burned out and she just needs to rest more. So it's not making a choice. It's actually just cutting off in time, time to rest. But that is a choice.
0: So you have to, it has to spark joy in every moment. Like you have to continuously assess is it still making me happy? And when you're too tired, trust me, I know. When you're too tired, what's joyful becomes much less joyful. And when you're exhausted, only rest sparks joy.
1: So it seems like there's a fun kind of paradox in what you're saying, and you tell me where I'm wrong, that to access your full joy, mm. you need a lot of courage.
0: Yeah. Actually, I was... I was thinking when you said, it all sparks joy, and then she gets tired and sick. I was thinking about watching four lions hunting a warthog in Africa, like you do. <laughs> um, and we watched them for like 20 minutes, and they they, they are so slow and so careful, like crouch down silently, just inching through the grass. I mean, they are so careful and so intense. So this went on for like 20 minutes, and... They were getting within strike range and then an impala saw them and made a noise and the warthog went, whoa and ran away with his little tail in the air. And at that moment, without a second's hesitation, all four lions dropped to the ground and went to sleep. I love it. There was not a moment of, oh, let's chase after it. They knew they couldn't. Give up now. No, there was no pride in it. There was no ego. No, pride than pride.
1: pride. Was there? Oh, oh.
0: <laughs> there was no ego. There was no regret. There was no, damn it. There was none of that. There was just, okay, that was sparking joy, but it's gone. So now I'm going to rest because that sparks joy. And you and I have both stood or sat, not supposed to stand, in Land Rovers and watched lions rest.
1: <laughs>
0: and as our friends there say, they rest like they mean it. Yeah. And you'll sit there for an hour going, please just throw us a <laughs> bone and nothing. They just sleep 20 hours a day. The
1: peak experience when you watch a lion rest is if it will put its head up and yawn, you can get a photo of it looking like it's roaring and that's the best thing <laughs> that's that ever all
0: going to happen That you. is all you get. So it's interesting that people talk about having the heart of a lion. Mm. Because I actually think that you need the heart of a lion to rest in a culture that never rests. You need to be so brave and so ferocious in keeping your own self in harmony Mm. that even if someone mocks you, even if someone... I remember when I quit academia to go write books, this guy told me, because my then-husband was teaching at the same university, he said, now you'll never be anything but a lowly faculty wife. Oh, my God. And the next year... (laughs) I finally sold a book and I paid more in taxes than his entire salary. Oh,
1: yeah. Oh, Oh,
0: yeah. yeah. Oh, Mm -hmm. yeah. But when he said that, it was like I had been one of two out of 60 people in the faculty who were female. Mm. And he was like that arrogance and the condescension was just unbelievable. And I just sat there and I thought, you just watched it. Like he was like, you just you can't hunt. I was like, watch me. Lionesses do most of the hunting by arch. It's <laughs> <That's laughs> brilliant.
1: Lowly faculty wife. So we got to be brave like lion and we got to rest like lion.
0: Yep. Got to rest like lion. Somebody tries to stop you. You just put your head up, show them those massive, huge teeth, and just think, now just to yourself,
1: I could crack your skull like a walnut. But Holiday when you show hunting. them those teeth, just be yawning really widely yeah as you drift back to With sleep
0: no no intention of not resting <laughs> yeah. yeah and ultimately it's the the freedom from having to answer to the cultural pressures is the deepest rest of all
1: oh that's amazing yeah absolutely so there you go so there you go we have to to get bewildered mm. for Carmen what we're the bewilderment that that we're looking at for her is to have the heart of a lion,
0: to do things that only things that spark joy,
1: and have the courage to rest.
0: That's it. There we go. Be nice wild. One. Stay wild, everybody.
1: Stay wild. We'll talk to you next time. Are you enjoying these shenanigans? We can notify you when a new Bewildered episode comes out. Just text the word wild to five seven zero eight seven three. 0144 You can also follow Martha on the socials for all kinds of ways to improve your life On Instagram, she's TheMarthaBeck On Facebook, TheMarthaBeck Or on Twitter plain old Martha Beck. Her website is MarthaBeck.com You can also follow me Rowan Mangan for all kinds of stuff on the writing life, wordsmithing and honestly general nonsense My website is RowanMangan.com find me on Insta, Rowan Mangan. On Facebook, I'm Rowan Mangan Writer. And on Twitter, I'm Rowan Mangan. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.
0: You know, what I'm seeing out in the world is a lot of fear and a growing amount of despair. Maybe you're feeling that way, too, because the ways our culture has taught us to navigate the world, to navigate our lives, they are failing us. We need And the world needs wayfinders now more than ever. So please go to marthabeck.com, and you'll find your way.